The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. This episode gets back to basics on extended producer responsibility and introduces the fundamentals to new members. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, we hear from David Lefebvre, the Director of Public Affairs West for the Canadian Stewardship Services Alliance, overseeing media, government and stakeholder relations for Recycle BC and Multi-Material Stewardship Western in Saskatchewan. David will discuss how EPR works from the non-profit organization responsible for the residential program in BC, servicing 1.8 million households and collecting approximately 186,000 tons of material from homes and depots every year. First of all, thank you, Christina. Thank you to the Recycling Council of Alberta for inviting us to speak today. Uh, Bob already did this from his, uh, I'm sure, beautiful house over on Vancouver Island. I'm going to do it as well. It's common in British Columbia for us to recognize the First Nations that came before us and on whose land we currently reside. Uh, Recycle BC's office is located in North Vancouver, as is my home, where I am presenting from today. And the First Nations on whose traditional territory we reside is the Squamish and the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. And so they were the original stewards of the environment. They continue to fulfill that role today. And we are on what we consider to be their unceded territory. We get a lot of requests to speak about our program. In fact, just this past fall, uh, we had a request south of the border in Washington state to do a virtual event where we spoke for, I kid you not, two and a half hours about our program. We had uh, participants from across America uh, attend this, states like Nevada, Oregon, Vermont, California, and Massachusetts, just to name a few of them. Two and a half hours is how much time we spent talking about our program, and I have 15 minutes today with you. So the good news is that none of you have to read the book. I'm going to be giving you the Coles Notes version of our program. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll all be able to just barely pass the test. Uh, you won't ace it, but you'll pass it. And for those of you who don't remember what Cole's notes are, I'm not going to try to explain it to you. Um, I don't think they make those anymore. The internet has usurped that. Very quickly, our agenda for the day, I'm going to give you a little bit of context because to fully understand the program that we have today, you really do have to understand the context in which we operate. I'm gonna talk about uh, who we are, of course, uh, our performance, uh, which really I think is why we were asked to speak today. We're quite proud of the performance that we've been able to achieve in a small number of years. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about what's enabled that performance, uh, looking first at collection, and then also looking at post-collection. And of course, we're gonna have some time for Q&A. Um, so getting straight into the context, a lot of this is probably not new to most of you, uh, but it bears repeating because it really does shape some of the performance that you're going to see a little bit later in the presentation. So, of course, China in 2018 brought in its National Sword program. It banned the import of foreign recyclables unless they had exceptionally low contamination. So low that virtually none can get in, uh, although, you know, if, if you're amazing, you can. Uh, this obviously had an incredibly huge impact on supply and demand. Uh, it impacted communities across Canada and around the world. Uh, and really what we saw is it resulted in communities reducing the materials that they accept in their program, 
stockpiling materials because they could not find markets for them after collecting them. And in some cases, landfilling materials that had been collected. And I know that at least one community in Alberta suspended its curbside recycling program altogether due to a lack of markets. So this is all relevant because it's against this backdrop of really significant challenges that our program has to be viewed. To truly understand the impact of what we've been able to achieve, we have to understand just how challenging things can be out there right now. So Recycle BC was tasked with creating a program that would collect materials across the province. We established the materials that producers had to report to join into our program. We created a collection system that included homes, multifamily and depot. And we did it all collaboratively through partnerships and with a lot of consultation. We sought innovation throughout the way. And obviously we still have a lot more to do. We're only six years old. Uh, but one thing is really important to understand, and that's that everything that we do, we do with intention. We designed this system with intention. So who exactly are we? Number one, we are a not-for-profit organization, and we're responsible for residential packaging and paper recycling throughout the province. So Bob mentioned institutional, commercial, and industrial materials, or what Bob likes to call non-residential. Uh, we are residential uh, materials. So Recycle BC ensures that household materials are collected, sorted, and responsibly recycled and recovered. Our program is funded by approximately 1,200 businesses, and that includes retailers, manufacturers, restaurants, uh, companies that are putting packaging and paper into the marketplace that is ending up in BC residents' hands and that they are taking home with them. The, uh, the program shifts costs away from homeowners to the producers and the brand owners of that packaging and paper. And these businesses so far have contributed more than $500 million to residential recycling in the province since program inception. In 2020 alone, they contributed $120 million. So partnerships is a very important part of what we do. We partner with service providers, and those service providers can include local governments, First Nations, private waste companies, and we partner with them for three channels of collection, curbside, as I mentioned, multifamily, and depot. Now, once residential packaging and paper is collected, it enters our province-wide post-collection network, and that includes transporters, receiving facilities, and post-collection services like sorting, processing, and marketing of materials. Uh, finally, though, we also partner with the producers that fund us. And as I mentioned, $500 million, the impact is absolutely huge. We also work with some of our producers to help make some of their materials, their packaging materials, more recyclable or for them to better understand how their materials are interacting with the system. So from a performance perspective, I suspect one of the reasons why we were asked to present today is because Number one, we're the only full producer responsibility program for residential packaging and paper in North America. The other reason I hope is because of the performance that we've been able to achieve in the face of some of those pretty significant headwinds that I mentioned earlier in the presentation, that context piece. So a quick note on our performance, all of the numbers that you're about to see are only possible because we track our performance through data. We monitor hundreds of thousands of material movements a year. We perform approximately 1,800 material audits every single year. 
And we produce an annual report that's third party validated by a financial accountancy firm. So that's one of the important aspects of full producer responsibility, something that it brings. It's that ability to say what is happening to material across an entire province with a fair amount of rigor. So what have we been able to achieve? Well, you can see the arrow is going up. And so as our results show last year, we are continuing, to trend, uh, continuing our upward trend and meeting all obligations under the regulation uh, that Bob just walked you through. Uh, our tons collected continue to grow by 1% and we increased our capture rate per capita. We have to achieve a 75% recovery rate. In 2019, we achieved a 78.2% recovery rate. And it's worth notice, noting that we've done this despite those really tough recycling markets. So we're proud that we're continuing to have positive results, even though there are all these challenges out there. We manage all of our materials in accordance with the pollution prevention hierarchy. And that means that we recycle everything that we can. And if we can't do that, we still do what we can to keep it out of the landfill. So in 2019, we increased the tons of packaging that we managed by recycling year over year by almost 7,000 tons. That's an increase of about 4%. That resulted in more than 90% of our collected material being managed by recycling. We also managed about 2,500 tons by engineered fuel. This is material that could not be recycled and that would normally otherwise end up in the landfill. Instead, it is being turned into a commodity and used as a replacement for coal in industrial practices. So we are moving that up the pollution prevention hierarchy and managing to divert that material from landfill. We decreased the tons managed by disposal by 14%. So that was down about 2,300 tons. And in 2019, when we talk about safe disposal, we're really only talking about 7% of the total material that we handled. That's down from 8% the previous year, despite those challenges that I mentioned. And I should mention, all of these numbers are, are relevant, especially because in British Columbia, we collect the largest list of accepted materials for residential PPP paper packaging. Uh, and plastic um, across Canada. So this slide here is noteworthy. Really, I mean, the statistics are very interesting, but it's mostly noteworthy, not just because of those statistics, but also because of what the slide actually is. We're one of the few jurisdictions that have implemented uh, targets for paper, plastic in two subcategories, metal and glass. And we report these material category recovery rates every year. I'm gonna highlight a couple of things. You'll see that paper was down in 2019, uh, down about 3% from 86% from to 83%. We're gonna see what happened in 2020 in the next few months as we crunch the numbers. We suspect the pandemic is gonna have a bit of an impact on that. Plastic, meanwhile, we were able to grow to 46% from 42%. And we actually saw growth both in rigids category. So that was up to 56% from 54 and we also collected 15% more flexible plastic packaging year over year, which grew our recovery rate to 22%. So that gives you a little bit more detail. It tells a little bit more of an environmental story behind that 78.2% overall recovery rate that we talk about. Moving over to collection. So one of the things that we have is a standardized material list across the entire province. And a common list for collection is actually really important for a few reasons. But most importantly, it reduces confusion. And with clarity 
comes increased quality and less contamination. People have a better sense of what they need to put in their bin from one place to another in the province. And it doesn't matter if you're at your cabin in one part of the province, or if you're living in Vancouver, or if you're living in Kelowna, you have a better sense of where these uh, materials need to go and what's accepted. As mentioned, we have the largest basket of accepted materials in Canada, and we continue to expand that list. So when you look at some of the categories that we've expanded, coffee cups, plastic plant pots, empty coffee pods, aerosol containers and clamshells. These are all things that are accepted in the Recycle BC program. These are all things that are often not accepted elsewhere in Canada. And I mentioned there are a lot of challenges right now in terms of finding markets. Uh, there are many municipalities that are having to limit the materials that they collect. They're having to stockpile some materials. In some cases, they're having to landfill. In contrast, Recycle BC is expanding the materials that it collects and it's still achieving that performance that I showed you. Recycle BC collects in three different streams. So we have curbside collection, which is pretty self-explanatory. We have multifamily collection. So these are residences with five or more units. Uh, usually we're talking about shared recycling containers and large complexes like apartment buildings. And then we have depot collection. And residents can drop off their materials at one of over 230 depots across BC. It allows for the collection of materials like plastic bags and foam that really aren't very compatible with curbside and multifamily collection. And it also provides an efficient option for communities uh, that are too small for curbside or multifamily. From a provincial access perspective, um, since launching, we have significantly increased access to recycling. So our 2019 annual report uh, gives the following statistics. 98.6% uh, of households have access to services. 176 communities uh, take part in curbside recycling. 1.85 million households with population of about 4.6 million residents have access to recycling services through Recycle BC. And many materials um, that were not widely connected, collected throughout the province in our program, those materials that I just mentioned, the cups, the coffee cups and the cartons and the plastic bags, those are also being collected. So that is a, a consideration when we talk about access. In 2019, we continued to add to our program. Six new communities joined us uh, that added about 14,000 uh, households and about 1,000 multifamily um, and 11 new depots joined our program. Okay, moving quickly to post-collection. What is post-collection? Well, first of all, it is all of the elements of recycling that deal with receiving of material after collection, transporting material to a material recovery facility, sorting material into specific grades or types of materials. Uh, so plastic being sorted into multiple different types and the marketing of materials as commodities to end markets where they're processed and made into new packaging uh, products. The post-collection network is made up of a variety of subcontractors and it's overseen by our post-collection contractor, uh, GFL. The province-wide system creates economies of scale. It allows for centralized investments in recycling technologies uh, as well as infrastructure and that benefits the whole network. The consolidated volume also enables us better access to markets. We issued a post-collection RFP last year um, and we put a lot of thought into this. In fact, before we issued it, we performed some market soundings with companies, both local and across North America. And uh, we did this to better understand how to frame and build the RFP. The RFP focused on five key outcomes. So we had 
investment in recycling infrastructure, something that Bob mentioned earlier, system efficiency with multiple, uh, with minimal redundancy, prioritization of local end markets, clear and transparent business processes, and ongoing innovation and technology. And as a result of the process, Canada Fibres was a successful proponent. Canada Fibres was purchased by Green for Life, who began as our post-collection provider in May of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. Not the best situation, but we managed to launch it on time. As a result, we have 38 facilities in our network across the province. And while GFL created the post-collection network, it created the network by incorporating the local waste industry, including receiving and transporting materials uh, throughout the province down to the lower mainland. Once the material reaches the lower mainland, it arrives at one of two material recovery facilities near Vancouver, one in Richmond and one in New Westminster. And that's where the material is sorted and prepared for the market. Uh, for materials like glass, uh, where there are end markets nearby elsewhere in the province, these will go straight to that receiving facility. Um, and that's really an effort to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And one thing that we should say is we begin to track our material the minute it moves over the way scale after collection. So every single ton by each collector is recorded in our system and it is received uh, until it is received by an approved end market. This ensures that we can maintain chain of custody of the material in our program. So what are the highlights that came out of our new post-collection network? So first of all, GFL ended up investing $25 million and that includes a major overhaul of a single stream material recovery facility, a new container recovery facility and new fiber sorting facility, the likes of which never existed in our program before. And the result is that plastics continue to stay local. The vast majority, 98% of the plastic that we collect in BC is managed here in the province of BC. We also, though, managed to create a dramatic reduction in the amount of fiber that was being sent overseas. And I mentioned earlier that that was one of the things we prioritized in our RFP was local end markets. So that fiber is staying here in the Pacific Northwest and that's supporting a local circular economy, something that Jody mentioned earlier. Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series podcast. Search for On the Cusp. Alberta Circular Podcast on iTunes and the Google app for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.